Welcome to the Tabletop Submarine, where we dive a little bit deeper into why we love board games. Strap in and prepare for a deep sea adventure. You're your host. Hey, Andrew. Yes, Josh. So there's this thing going on in Europe where people are, you know, trying to, you know, stop using metal production. Like they want to like get away from metal and use more natural materials that come from the earth that are easier to manufacture. That and makes so sense. People are actually taking, yeah, well, well, it's weird because they're taking like fibers from like pants and different trousers and trying to use them for cooking wear. So like skillets and saucepans and stuff like that. Hmm. And it is just catching on like wildfire. Like everybody's using it. it. It can't be stopped. It's absolutely crazy. But people, experts aren't really sure what the long lasting effects of this, you know, this sort of craze are going to be. Okay. It sounds pretty wild, right? Oh, it's wild for sure. Yeah. They just can't predict the pandemics legacy. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Oh, I wish you, I wish you guys could see his face when I tell these jokes. It makes me so happy. <laughs> Voyagers, welcome to the Tabletop Submarine Podcast. It is so good to have you here. As always, I am the the teller of terrible puns. You're one of your co-hosts, Josh, and with me is my number one recipient of these terrible puns. Yeah, I'm Andrew, and I need to boop you on the nose for that. For no, <laughs> that that was terrible. Okay, uh, but welcome to the show. And uh, our guest this week is the amazing Kurt Covert of Smirk and Dagger Games. He is knocking it out of the park. He is killing it lately with a bunch of really great stuff. Uh, we are so privileged to have him on here. Those who listen to the show know we've already had Scott Brady, a boop on the game, and this is the producer of that game, Boop. So, Kurt, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. A pleasure to be here. So we met each other again at Origins, and you showed yep. me Adventure Party, which I am enamored with. I think that's really, really cool implementation. And then prior to that, at I believe there was a Geekway to the West where you showed me Tesseract a long yep. time ago. Yep. And that's now coming out. Really excited to see what's going on with that. But Kurt, I don't want to just talk over you. Please tell me all the cool stuff you've got going on. <laughs> Well, uh, man, yeah, so so many things. Um, this is now um, uh, Smirk and Dagger's 20th year in business, uh, which wow. is a shock even to me. Um, and um, and honestly, it's really only been like the past six years, even maybe even the last three years, that things have have gotten as uh, interesting as they as they truly have. Um, but yeah. Um, we simply can't keep Boop in stock at all. Um, uh, we, I printed the biggest print runs I've ever printed on any game ever as an initial run. It was 12,000 units, which is almost almost double what I normally print. Okay. And in November, it was gone in two weeks. Yep. So everyone was like, hey, you know, it's not going to be holiday time when they come back. So only, only do like 12,000 more. Maybe he's like, oh, okay. And then they were gone in a week. So, <laughs> so we're not sure if we've actually found the ceiling to, to boop, but I've I don't got think another so. 18. Yeah. I've got another 18,000 that are arriving in a couple of weeks. Uh, spooky boop or boop is, yes. uh, is actually, it just is hitting the warehouse now. Um, that's going to be kind of an in and out Halloween edition with the uh, new, new ghost cats that are part of that game. Love it. Uh, 
Then in mid-August, yeah, Tesseract finally gets here. Adventure Party is moving into late pledges by the end of the week. So, I mean, lots of things are going on. You are absolutely right. My dream and my goal is to be able to buy... Once you you release, you know, three other different editions of Boop, you have like Boop (laughs) or like Boop Americana or like Boop whatever... And they have, I can like combine all four of these boards into one mega board and have a four-player boop game. Oh, that's 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 my goal in life. Uh, as well, I, Andrew's probably told you, me and me and him are really big fans of this game for many reasons. Yeah. And when you announced boop, I was overjoyed. So, what, yeah. what was kind of the decision of releasing a Halloween version of this game? Well, honestly, it it started with I think a joke between Scott and I. Um, we had, we'd already, um, when I, when I first, uh, signed Boop, um, and, and again, when, when I did so, um, the name of the game was, uh, Pounce House. Okay. Um, and, um, so, you know, I was kind of workshopping, you know, I I was wondering if that felt a little young or a little bit too dexterity based. So Mm -hmm. I was looking for something and, and we happened on, on Boop. Um, and then even my own team was like, well, uh, does it have to be cats? And we, we were actually like trying to decide at the, at the outset, is it going to be cats? You know, I said, well, it's abstract. It could be anything. It could be, you know, it could be little dragons. It it could be, you know, beep boop and it's robots. It could be, you know, lots Mm -hmm. of different things. So at Gen Con a couple of years ago, I like created three different covers um, just one night, um, and I, I brought them to Scott the next day. I was like, look, look it could be all the you know, adventure boop with dragons. It could be boop with the cats. It could be beep boop with the robots. And we we finally did decide on the cats, but he had actually at that time said, well, I kind of dig the beep boop thing for robots. <laughs> so um, eight flash, you know, eight months later, he shows up at the next convention, and he's like, by the way, and he pulls out beep boop. It's it it's now on a hexagonal board with <laughs> pieces that graduate three times. So it's treads, body, and head. And then when they graduate, they leave a spring on the board. If you get booped into, it ricochets you out of the arena. Like <laughs> it's actually a, a even a more challenging game. Like it's amazing. And I was like, well, gee, Scott. I mean, what do we think? We've got this great game. Do should we should we come out with it this year? And he's like, I don't know. I mean, is it too early? I was like, it might be. It might be too early. Maybe we want to want to live with the cats a little bit longer. And he's like, well, remember, we kind of half joked that this could actually be like, like maybe even a Halloween edition. I was like, we did. He's like, maybe we do that. It's like, okay, but I mean, rather than just have like cute new art, it needs to have something, mm-hmm. and. So, you know, we were trying to decide exactly what it was going to be. And, and we liked the idea of having ghost cats on the board, but we mm-hmm. didn't have the mechanics. But while we we figured, well, well, we'll be able to land on those mechanics pretty soon. And meanwhile, I started designing the art. Uh, in, the, in a weird case, this is this is one of the projects where I'm actually the artist. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm typically, I typically don't have the illustration skills to do like great stuff, but I'm a hack cartoonist and I can... You know, this this is in my wheelhouse. So I started working on the pieces and what they would look like. And I worked on the box and I created this little marketing uh, image. Mm-hmm. And I 
I started showing it to some retailers and I showed it to like, you know, some of my distribution partners and all of a sudden I'm getting pre-orders and I'm like, wait a second, we don't have a game yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, You're so hitting on something sudden, there. Yeah. Yeah. So all of a sudden I said, Scott, we need the game mechanics in the next two weeks. We have to arm wrestle, get this tightened down because the orders are here. So that's, nice. that was the story of boop <laughs> or boop. <laughs> oh, that's such a cool moment. Like that's just awesome that like sometimes you just stumble in the right direction and it just takes off and flies. And I think that's great. And, and in this case it floats, right? Cause it's a little ghost floating away. So there you go. Yeah. Yes. Um, the little ghosty. <laughs> so obviously you have a lot more games than boop. I mean, you have games like the night cage, a personal favorite of mine. You have the spill. You have another great abstract Shobu, which is, one of the, my favorite games to actually show people because even though I don't get it, it looks great on a table. <laughs> so what when you're choosing your games, Kurt, what 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 makes a smirk and dagger game? Oh my god, what a great question. Um the answer is it has evolved. Um for 14 years I did nothing but backstabbing games. Mm-hmm. Um because I absolutely adore Adored them, and and what I loved about them is I love like the the emotional roller coaster that the game those kind of games put you on. Um, you know, you're you're clenching your fist and you're cursing your friends' names, and you're like, you know, it's like you know, oh, you're working on this plan, and then everything's ruined. And so I love all of that. When I went full time again six years ago, I I knew I had to expand the line, and then it was like, well, how am I going to redefine myself? And mm-hmm. where I ended up. Uh, and honestly, Shobu was one of the first struggles I had. I, I I saw the game. I loved it. And I fought with myself for two days. Like, why can't I have a pretty thing? I know it doesn't fit the line. I love this game. I, I want to have it. I want to publish it. And I and I finally, you know, and slowly have developed the, this um, new vision for the company. And what's true about all my games is that um, one, they're fairly approachable. Yeah. Just, you know, mechanically, you know, uh, people who are not, you know, died in the world gamers or, or trying to, you know, show their families a game, you know, they're, they're going to be able to jump in, you know, fairly readily. Mm-hmm. Um, but what really makes them my game is that there's some sort of a feeling that, uh, that takes over during the game. Now, sometimes that's tied to mechanic. Sometimes it's tied to the theme. Sometimes it's the interactions that players have. But when you play a smirk and dagger game, it's not just about the mental exercise. It's also the feeling you get around the table. And it has to deliver something to make it feel right. Um, and it's 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 a it's a weird little X factor. It's very hard to explain, but I, I know it when I feel it. Okay. And uh, in in the case of Shobu, the reason that was so hard was it's a pure abstract. I mean, mm-hmm. absolutely pure. So it really didn't belong. But what I found amazing about it is that it didn't feel like Jamie and Manolis designed that. It felt like something you pulled out of the ground. Like it's yeah. centuries old. Yeah. And so when you sit to play it, you feel like you're just dis- you're discovering an ancient artifact like this is a this is a century old game and it feels a little zen and but in any case you you kind of respect the game you, you like when you sit down to play chess like the centuries of that game 
you feel it when you sit down to play it. And yeah. that was one of the X factors for, for Shobu for me. That's great. I mean, really and truly interesting. Plus, you know, you get that feeling of old timiness. You get that feeling of classicness. Uh, that's what an abstract, I think, should be at its core. And so you're really hitting on that. Do you have some other abstracts down the line you can't really talk about that I can look forward to in my mind? So, I mean, well, uh, <laughs> there, there, uh, I did mention Beep Boop, and and so that is a, a pretty fresh version of Boop, and there's even, I think, <laughs> going to be a plushy version for Trump. Nice! So it'll, it'll come in a little zippered cat, so... Um, <laughs> Love it. Um, but in any case, no, in terms of like uh, like brand new abstracts, I don't have anything actually scheduled, booked, that kind of thing. Um, honestly, uh, I, I get um, I get excited by by new games and and discovering them. And um, so I, I, I it's not like I say to designers, hey, I'm looking for X type of game. Um, that's usually not how I figure out the roster. It's like, wow, this is amazing. And I think it makes perfect sense for our line. And I get excited and adopt it and then and, and move on. Of course, you know, I, I used to design, you know, all the games myself, but now I'm pretty much developing other people's work. So. The pre-launch. Get to know us and our guests. In the pre-launch, we talk about one game we played recently and how we felt about it. I'm going to leave with a spoiler that I'm going to talk about two today because I have some very strong feelings. But let's go ahead and start with Kurt. You are talking about a game that's been pretty hot recently, so how about you take it away and let us know how you feel about it. Sure. So the game that I'm throwing out there uh, today is Splendor Duel. Splendor's, you know, one of those games that I think is kind of an early entry point for uh, for a lot of gamers, and um, you know, and I and I think, uh, you know, there are some people who feel like, oh, you know, I play it with my family, but I don't know if I necessarily need to go back to it myself all the time. And what I really got struck with with this particular edition of the game is, they said, well, how can we optimize this for two players and make it really interesting? And they came up with this really amazing game board and a new system of how the chips refresh that really put you in a head-to-head thinky struggle for what chips are you going to take? What chips are you going to leave for your opponent? And you're actually looking at what they're trying to collect. And, you know, so all of a sudden it goes from, you know, kind of doing my own thing to a real head-to-head conflict, and I thought it was a brilliant change. I think it completely changed, changes the experience of the game, even though mechanically it's very similar. But uh, to me, it just makes the game like a lot better, a lot more interesting. Completely agree. Uh, my wife and I play regular Splendor 2 players forever, uh, and now we have a copy of Splendor Duel in our bag to take with us wherever we go. We just It's a great thing to pull out and play, and I like that it's small. I like that it fits in a tight space. Yep, absolutely true. Which, you know, if any two-player game, you know, you typically take it more places. It can be portable. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so yeah, this is a great example of, of that. And uh, I, I was surprised. I will say, um, you know, when I, I, one of my team members, uh, John, like, you know, said, Hey, listen, if you haven't tried this, you know, 
give this a whirl. So I bought mm-hmm. it. And I, at, while we were at a show, when we played one night, and I was like, wow, this is really cool. Um, so, yeah, kudos to the design team on this. Little insider baseball. Josh doesn't like this game because he played it wrong. So I'm forcing him to play it again <laughs> soon. Yeah, no, I, I, I played it terribly wrong, which completely affected my experience. So hopefully here soon I'll actually be able to play it right. Speaking of playing things wrong, Andrew, what have you been playing recently? <laughs> Uh, I recently, uh, have been in the deep North woods and, uh, we had some friends over to visit who are non-gamers. Uh, I have forced them to play ticket to ride. And this time we were out on the picnic table and we broke out Quirkle. Uh, Quirkle, if you've never played is a tile laying game in the same way that Scrabble is a tile laying game, but it's done with colors and shapes. Uh, super simple. The teach is a minute, maybe a minute and a half, um, and we were playing with non-gamers, like I said, and they requested to play a game a second time. And then they requested to play the game a third time, all in a row. Not No that's breaks, great. no nothing. We just literally played yep. it back to back to back. Uh, so I know that's a hit. And it's fun for non-gamers to play, too, because it's a little bit tactical. You get this piece that you're like, oh, I could put it there for four points now. Or do I hold it? And how long can I hold it? And then use that as a spot to get the six in the line, which forces a quirkle, which doubles the points. So... It's not dramatically tactical, but it's slightly tactical, which makes it more fun. I absolutely yeah, agree game. Yeah. As I kind of spoil the lead, I have two games I want to talk about. Both short-ish. One I absolutely adored. One I loathed entirely. So let's, let's talk about the one that... Uh, let's, I, I won't spoil this one. The first game is called Good Face, Bad Face by Big Potato Games. So... This game, you are have a deck of cards that have either a good face or a bad face on them. Your whole goal is to get four good faces in front of you. So you start with the hand of four cards, and on your turn, you place down any number of cards in front of you face down, and you pass it to the next player. The next player has to decide if they want to pull a card from the top of the deck up or not, or they want to pass. If they get a bad face... Well, if they get a good face, they place a face down in front of them, and they're that much closer to victory. If they get a bad face, a couple things could happen. It could wipe out their entire board they have in front of them. It could cancel out a good face that they already have there as well. It's all about trying to read the people and the board next to you. And also, if you get a series of bad faces, you could take those cards into your hand, and they have a bigger hand to deal with. So that's good face, bad face. The next one I played is called Silver Coin from Bezier Games. In this game, you have—I barely know the theme of it—but you basically have a series of cards in front of you from one to thirteen, and they all have different powers. On your turn, you are trying to dis- draw cards from a deck or a discard deck and manipulate the cards in your area and try to get the least amount of cards there. So, because at the very end of the round, you're going to add up all the number of values in the cards, and whoever has the lowest value wins. So, I'll say. I adored Good Face, Bad Face. Good Face, Bad Face is only available in the UK right now, but it is excellent. This is like a skull killer. If you guys have played Skull at like the coaster game, yeah. this is yep. absolutely blows it out of the water. The The way that the table chemistry works of trying to figure out in what order would I would, would the player who put these cards down, would he put all the good faces on top or would he put a bad face and immediately try to screw me over? Wonderful, like above the hmm. table game. With such a simple concept, this I, I'm surprised it hasn't come to the states yet. But it is big potato, and they are UK based, like I said. 
But holy cow, like I will never play Skull again if I can help it because Good Face, Bad Face is absolutely <laughs> fantastic. Absolutely great. Silver Coin, on the other hand, is I've never been more infuriated with a game in my life since I played Cover Your Assets. I I almost oh. bought a copy of the game just to burn it. I was seriously considering just like for an Instagram, just getting a game and burning it. I oh cold cow. That is a strong take, Josh. It's a really strong take from a very strong publisher in Bezier Games. You're saying they absolutely missed it. Absolutely missed it. And a lot of people really love this game. And I was I was ex- excited to play this one because I love One Night Ultimate Werewolf. I think it's the best version of Werewolf. Okay. So I sit down to play this. I'm like, okay, there's no strategy in it. Things just happen to you. Like I I was set. I thought I was actually getting after the second playthrough, setting my goal up to actually win a round. And you have to, in order to end the game, a player has to call for a vote, and everyone gets to play one more round. Well, if you call for a vote, everyone's going to attack you. And so you have to try to guarantee mm. that they can't attack you, but you can't guarantee it because the random card pull is random, and you don't know what anyone else has. It's It was – I tried so hard to be a good sport about this, but oof, if, if my gears weren't grinding by the end of this game, <laughs> I oh, it was just – I love board games, but this kind of card game just makes my blood boil. It's like, why do I even play games? How come games like this? It was, whew. I mean, this might be you know, up your alley, Kurt, because there's lots of backstabbing. I'm not sure if you have you played this one. <laughs> I have not. Okay, well, you might like it if you like backstabbing. But holy cow, I got, I'm gonna talk, I'm gonna end this on a good note. That Silver Coin, not my favorite, not type of game at all. Good face, bad face, however absolutely fantastic game well we're big believers here that there's a game for everyone and there are plenty of games that are not for everyone right so this obviously you are not the audience for this one and that is okay you don't have to buy it to burn it it's okay i might though i might i might (laughs) it's my money i'll spend it how i want even if i waste it Well, anyway, let's get away from my negative. Andrew always hates when I talk about games I don't like, but I sometimes I need to get it off my chest and just tell the world about it. Hey, <laughs> just feel what you feel and own it. It's totally okay. I will express myself even if it's ugly. Anyways, we spent too long here talking about games. Let's, we want to hear more from Kurt, so let's head into the dive and hear about his story. The helm is yours. Spin us a yard or tell us a tale of your. We're here to listen. Oh, man. So, like, this is, like, so hard. Because, like, you know, what's, what's your most memorable board game experience? Like, oh, my God. Like, 20 years? I can't. Like, honestly, one of my <laughs> go-tos has always been, like, you know, like, Cutthroat Caverns and how that came to be. But I've told that story a lot. Um, and okay. so, you know, I what I really thought was um, it, it's been very top of mind. Um, I think because it is my 20th year, I'm kind of doing a lot of retrospect and like how I've changed. And so nowadays, like currently, really what I'm starting to enjoy about what I do is, is break out into new genres after having specialized in backstabbiness for, for so long, you know, I'm now working on abstracts and co-ops and storytelling games, a whole bunch of different things, which is wildly refreshing. And at the same time, um, 
is a big difference in how I work on games where everything I did in the past was kind of like my own design that I kind of incubated. Now I really get to collaborate with others. Um, and that has, that's been kind of magical. I have to say, um, you know, whether it was, uh, working with Andy Kim on the spill and just getting that experience right to the point where nice. people who work in the industry of like saving the world from oil spills said, Hey, listen, I know you tried to make something that's supposed to be fun and it's kind of abstracted, but you've captured so much of what we do. We actually want to use your game in onboarding our people to help them understand what it is we do because you've captured it. I was like, that's amazing. And you know, that started with Andy. Uh, it started actually with Andy's wife who came up with the idea of like how, what that, that four way rig could actually, you know, uh, represent in terms of an, uh, an oil rig, uh, but also mm -hmm. just in, in working with the game and making sure it was delivering the emotional experience as well as a balanced game experience. Um, and that's what I'm loving. So like most of my stories are now like the aha moments that come with these new games and these collaborations. Um, you know, uh, we talked a little bit uh, uh, a moment ago about, about Shobu. Um, mm -hmm. and sometimes, uh, with both Shobu and Boop, sometimes I've, the games are, are basically perfect as they are. And all I really needed to do was help them find like the, the right title and look, um, you know, for, for Shobu that, that game was first presented to me as Sumo Stones, which completely makes sense because you're shoving stones off of these boards with your other stones. And so, you know, you get the idea that it's it's kind of like a sumo wrestling match where you're trying to, you know, knock opponents outside of the borders. Uh, in fact, that rope in the center, which everyone's like, you know, why is there a rope in the center? Like, there's actually a reason that made sense when it was called sumo stones because it kind of represented that, you know, uh, the... Marking out of the territory that you're, yeah. So, um, but in this case now, it's really just the line that's, that tries to remind you to start on your own side. But um, when I looked at the game, I said, you know, the problem is that that game doesn't really have sumo stones. Almost cheapens the experience because it's such a beautiful pure abstract. Um, thematic is actually going to work against this game. And so I want it to be like a pithy, quick one word. Um, I was going to keep it in the in the same kind of you know area, so a, a Japanese feeling game that made complete sense. Um, yeah. And I looked for Japanese words that really made sense, and I I found shobu, which is a, a Japanese uh, word that means uh, a game, match, or about. Hmm. So right right out of that same kind of sumo uh, kind of mentality. And sho and boo are the kanji that, um, that make that word up. And um, it is victory and defeat. Ah, which, I like it. Which represented the perfect balance of that game and needing to maintain a balance on your boards. And all of a sudden we had this pithy, rich name that just matched the experience. And while I did nothing on the actual 
you know, gameplay itself in development because it was tight as a whistle, like it just amazing. Um, that I think still made a difference in people's perception of that game when they came to it. So, um, you know, and Boop, like I said, yeah, that it was once called Pounce House. Um, now Scott ended up bringing me that game when, um, um, even before that it was called Gekatai, um, which was, it was another Japanese themed game with white and black stones on a square board. And it's like, you know, Scott, I don't, I'm not sure there's enough that I could do with this, even from a marketing point of view, could compete with Shobu. Um, right. And at that time he didn't have the graduating pieces in it. And I said, you know what? It, it, it's lacking a mid game. It's like, you know, whoop and done. And it, it needs to have that whole arc. So yeah, he came back and, you know, he played it with other people and got other input. And, um, and I think he came to the same realization. So he, he created the idea of, uh, you know, that uh, the graduating pieces and he brought it back to me and said, Hey, by the way, I like, take a look at the, the gameplay now. I was like, I love it. It's really cool. I, it's, it's a mm-hmm. terrific game. But again, I don't know if I can sell Gekatai next to Shobu and have it really do enough. He's like, but what if it was cats on a bed? And he puts out uh, this board su- suspended. Uh, it had like cray paper, like bed skirting on a board. Nice. It had, uh, he glued these uh, little um, pawns from a chess game to make the, the bed posts that it would stand on upside down and, um, and he put these 3D printed cats on the board. It was like, oh, well, I can sell that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, like I said, we, we, we got to, to the naming convention. And would it be cats? Would it be something else? Yes, it's definitely going to be cats. And Boop. Boop was, it's an internet meme, right? And mm-hmm. I, I knew that I wanted to push this towards the you know, uh, the quiet cats, you know, the, just, you know, the Japanese cute cat. Um, and so once I had that and it started feeling more, you know, meme in general, I was like, well, something like boop just, just, just works, you know? Um, yeah. and, and the fact that then it underscores gameplay. So that everyone, t- every time someone puts a piece on the board, you know, you're encouraged to say boop. Well, yes. I mean, that's part of the magic that goes into into the game and this boop is a perfect example of like when everything just comes together and you get lightning in a bottle and you remove any of those pieces and it's somehow less than that if this had Mm -hmm. been you know plastic chips on a board with the same gameplay you'd have the same experience but you wouldn't it just everything comes together to make boop really what it is there's a couple of lessons here for game designers. One, a rejection is not truly a rejection. It's a not good enough yet, right? Right. Number one. But also don't bring back the same game. You got to make a definite improvement to it. You got to make a definite change. Uh, but also, two, the half-fast version isn't a version, right? Like I immediately played Boop and I went home and I was like, I have to make a a play version of this for myself and my play with my wife immediately. And even though I made the game, it does not have the gravitas. It doesn't have the cuteness. It doesn't have the factor that makes it so much fun. So yes, I can do a pirate version as a placeholder, but as soon as it was available to me, I bought it instantaneously because I need to have the better version of that. Yeah. And for the same reason, I was almost surprised that it's done as well as it has 
on things like Board Game Arena and some of the other digital platforms that that now feature it because I was like, well, I mean, it's going to look the same because it has all the mm-hmm. illustrations and everything. But, you know, the the tactile nature of that bedspread, uh, the, the, the way that the cats are printed both sides and, you know, holding those yes. the chunky wooden pieces, like there's an X factor to that that really also lends itself to, you know, the enjoyment of the game. But apparently, the gameplay still shines very clearly, and the art is is art and name are enough to to kind of complete the circle. Um, so I've been happy that people have then played it there, enjoyed it, and then of course, yes, they they want to go and grab the actual physical copy because it's adorable, and how can you not have it? <laughs> I'm a big believer in you can't replace the tactile experience, right? But yeah. what you can do is play that game with people you can't normally play with on Board Game Arena. So right. I only play Board Game Arena with people I play long distance with or people that I cannot play physically with. The instant I can play physically, that is a better experience for me and I think a ton of people. And so I would rather have the tactile, especially chunky, clicky pieces and soft fabric board and all the things that make it feel that much more fun to play in person. So I don't think Board Game Arena replaces that. I think it's a helper to expand that game's reach to other people who normally couldn't play. Yeah, quite right. So you do a lot of collaborations now, as you were talking about. So what is the secret to having a good collaboration with either a designer, an artist, or pretty much any team you work with as you produce these games? Well, uh, hmm. how can I best answer that question? Um, I, I think it starts with my mentality as a publisher. Um, you know, there are some companies that when designers sign a game, um, they bring it in house. They have their, they have a whole team of, you know, development folks and artists and everything else. And, um, the designer sometimes is part of that, but sometimes not. And then the degree to which that they're part of that is, um, is variable based on the company and even potentially the, the game. Um, I'm, pretty small in terms of actual manpower. Um, so um, that gives me a lot of fluidity, flexibility, and quite honestly, um, I am a creative person myself. Um, I have, you know, pitched games to big companies. I've done, you know, lots of different things. And so one, I absolutely welcome as much partnership as they want to provide. And so yep. I open the door to them to, to say, hey, you know, hey, listen, I see an opportunity for this game. Um, I might even have an idea, but I want to put it back into your court because you are, you're the person who's most familiar with this game. Um, mm-hmm. You've seen all the things that I have never tested that you probably already have. So you're going to see things I won't see right out of the gate. But by end by end of the process, I'm going to be as knowledgeable or more so than the designer because I will have adopted it completely and internalized it. Um, and this process of finding those those opportunities, uh, working with the designer to find solutions. Uh, sometimes I'll come up with a solution and say, "Hey, listen, here's an idea." try it. 
Let, let me know what you think of it. Here's what I think it's solving for, and here's what I what reactions I've gotten as a result. Um, do you see the same things? Or do you mm-hmm. get as excited about it as I do? Now, that's a mentality that I have as a publisher that I value that input and that participation. Um, but because I'm also, uh, for, for 20 years, I was also a creative director at an, a marketing agency. So I work with creatives all the time. Um, and there is a way to give creative feedback and not give creative feedback. Um, yes. So um, very often people like to say uh, to creative people, I think it should be doing this, do this thing. And, you know, if, if, if you're a graphic artist, it could be like, hmm, it doesn't have enough punch. Make the logo bigger. Well, the, making the logo bigger maybe isn't the actual solution. Maybe right. game mechanic wise, if the game is running long, cutting it to three rounds is not the solution. Maybe there's something mm-hmm. else. However, I know that working with creatives, giving them a problem to solve, giving them uh, you know, the thing that you see as the opportunity, potentially some, some guiding things they can try, but then go and take a look at this, figure it out. What is mm-hmm. the best way forward? That's how you work with creative people. And um, to, to let them do what they do best is where you find the most success. So, yeah, that's kind of the long answer to that. I 100% agree with all the things you said. On top of that, one of the reasons why Josh and I, I think, are both into game design is because we like that creative problem solving, right? Like when we play test, we take the play test feedback. I don't necessarily want you to solve the problem. Just tell me what the problem is that I'm not seeing and then let me solve it, right? And I try to do that for other designers as well. But on top of that, I think as a person who's a game designer, you're a little bit siloed, right? Like I can play test across the board, all different kinds of people and get all different kinds of feedback. But you as a publisher take a different side of all game design aspects that I can't see, whether that's production value or how it can be marketed or anything like that. So I value your feedback deeply as well. Some of the best play tests I've had are pitches, And they tell me, okay, so the game is solid, but, and I'm like, oh, here's the juicy part. Give me the good stuff. Tell me what, tell me what's missing. Tell me what the thing I haven't found yet is. And so that's where I value you so deeply as a person who has 20 years of experience putting games on tables and trying to demo and sell them. Right. And interestingly enough, you're talking about, um, you know, the publishers taking a look at from like a a marketing point of view. Um, I will tell you that most of the most of the marketing that I create for games is created when I demo. Um, because you are, you're just naturally testing out as you talk about the game and introduce it to people. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you're describing your game. You're seeing the faces light up when you say, you know, you have a certain phrase, a word, a joke, anything, right? All of a sudden you're like, oh, that connected with people and made them yes. interested in this. And therefore... That is a consideration for marketing. Uh, yes. It's the copy that goes on the back of the box. It's the way that you do the videos. All of that is how you sell the concept of your game. And so for that reason, I always tell designers, when you're creating the sell sheets for your games for pitches, mm-hmm. take those things that you've learned from, from doing your, your presentations to people you've, you've just been playtesting with and make sure you communicate what is resonating 
what, what, where you're really connecting and anything that has made that impact has to be on that sell sheet, whether it's a yep. mechanic, a phrase or whatever, because those are things that matter. 100% agree. So to kind of wrap up this conversation, you, you we have all this wisdom and all this experience, Kurt. And you recently announced that your two lines, Smirk and Dagger and Smirk and Laughter, will be combining into just Smirk and Dagger, True. which, you know, awesome, great. So for the people who are fans of your publishing company, your games, what can they expect to get from your future collaborations, future games? What can they expect down the line from Smirk and Dagger? Well, if they've been paying attention for the past five, six years, it's more of the same. Um, <laughs> the uh, The answer is that um, the only reason I created the Smirk and Laughter subline was because for 14 years, I did nothing but backstabbing games, and I did such a good job of, of, of planting that flag and standing for something, which originally yeah. was super important because I wanted to have a mission statement. I wanted to like stand out and be something, right? Um, well, when I went full-time and I needed to broaden my shoulders and appeal to more people than simply lovers of backstabbing games, I had to telegraph that. At one point, um, as I was starting to contemplate this, uh, I put a, out a game called uh, Sutaku, and it was a pub-style dice game. It was push your luck, and quite honestly, you could kind of screw yourself when you played it. That's push your luck, right? So I said, well, that's that's adjacent to backstabbing, right? Screw yourself. <laughs> um, I brought it to the Gamma Trade Show, and I started talking about the game, and every single retailer and distributor who came to my booth that year said, where the hell is the backstabbing in this smirk and dagger game? And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. I did a really, really good job. Um, yeah. So you know, if I was going to do a cooperative game, if I was going to do an abstract, I had to telegraph that people could expect new things from me. Yes. Well, we're six years later. I no longer get the shocked faces when I talk about a cooperative game. Mm -hmm. And therefore the sub-brand is just getting in the way and we can collapse back into just the core brand. Um, I don't think there's a, a reason to have the distinction anymore. It's just that I've redefined what Smirk and Dagger is. Well, I, for one, can't wait to see what Smirk and Dagger brings in the future. Well, that was great. And I loved hearing everything you had to say, Kurt, but we're really deep down in the collaborative ocean right now. So let's go ahead and talk about games we are looking forward to playing in our future and put on our sonar. So on the sonar, we talk about one game we look forward to playing in the future. I'm actually going to hand over to Andrew to start this off. So I am looking for, forward to a game from Mads Flow. He's a Danish game designer. Uh, Shake That City. Uh, this looks like an amazing version of, and this is me not playing it, but a version of a roll and write where like you have an aspect that you come up with. In this case, he shakes a box click a button and cubes come out in a certain formation. And then you have to apply some of those colored cubes to your personal board. This looks amazing. Everybody I've seen have fun with it. It is always too busy for me to demo at conventions. So I'm really, really hoping I get to play this soon. Josh, what do you got? So for me, I am looking forward to playing Taco Cat Goat Cheese Pizza on the flip side. 
Taco Cat Goshi's mm. Pizza is the party game of my choice, usually when it comes to large group gatherings, only because it's crazy, wacky, and everyone has a great time. And on the flip side is an expansion of that. It has more radically wild mm. nonsense that I am excited to dive into. I just got to find the time to do it because, you know, it's just funny because, you know, when I play this with like my family and stuff, it's usually a big hit. But with my gamer group, they're not usually keen to like play it because it's very loud and it's very wild. But, you know, I'm excited to get this out and actually, you know, do some more shenanigans with my friends. But that's Taco Cat Goat Cheese Pizza on the flip side. Kurt, what are you looking forward to playing in the future? Right. I got a couple too. So, um, from my shelf of shame, um, you know, this is not new to anyone but me. Wonderland's War is definitely on my list. Mm. Um, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a direwolf game. I mean, great art by Manny, um, but it's got drafting. I love that. It's got bag yeah. building, super hit with me. You're fighting for Wonderland. What's not to love? And I hear great things about it, so I have to have this hit the table very soon. Um, of course, I'm about to, uh, as we're recording this, I'm about to go to Gen Con, so that's also top of mind. We are going to be playing mm-hmm. a whole bunch of uh, Tesseract. Um, that yes. is actually going to finally arrive in mid-August. Um, it is an amazing cooperative game um, that mm-hmm. it, it's just, I mean, all, all co-ops are collaborative, but this one, it really shines. If you are not working together as a group on everyone's turn, you're just not going to win. Um, and uh, it's got this great you know, block of 64 dice on a rotating platform that represents a Tesseract. It's dice manipulation. Uh, it's just an amazing game by uh, James uh, Fernhaber. Cannot wait to get it to the table. Can't wait for other people to do so. And at the same time, we're going to be showcasing uh, Adventure Party, uh, which is from David Smith and Travis Winston of, of Winsmith Games, which is this... It's a weird one. Like, it's it's a party weight guessing game, but it delivers this really robust role-playing experience. And those w- words don't make sense together. <laughs> yes. Um, so you're, you're rolling... You get this adventure hook. So what you're going to do is you've got these uh, magic items. You're going to choose one of the two of them. Um, and you're going to describe how you're going to face this encounter with that with that item. Describe your big plan. And then you roll the die. And depending on how well or how poorly you do, you're now going to describe what happens to you and the situation. And... All so that the GM, the guest master, can guess exactly what you rolled, like as close as possible. It turns that's the, the hook, whole, Josh. That's the hook. Yeah. It turns it completely upside down. It is a guessing game, but you sit there and you are sitting and role playing an entire adventure, and it is amazing. And what's great about it, anyone can learn it in two minutes. For people who yeah. are dyed in the wool role players, cool. You're going to have a lark. For people who are just like coming out of the D&D movie and they're like role play curious, this is your first taste of adventure and it's great on both levels. So yeah, the one and the 20 are relatively easy, but everything in between is where the gray area lives and that's where all the fun is, right? So you roll a 16. How successful are you? Let me try to describe a little, you know, a lot successful, but not quite 17 or 18 successful. That's, that's the genius of this game. So I really appreciate that. Well, Kurt, we've kept you down here long enough. Let's say we do all the Valve stuff and we'll shoot back up to the surface and we'll let you go. (laughs) 
Sounds great. Well, Kurt, we really appreciate giving your... I know it's a week before Gen Con. You're probably crazy busy. Thank you for giving some of your time today to come on to our show and talk more about Smirk and Dagger games. If people want to support you or they want to get more, you know, games in their life that Smirk and Dagger delivers, what can they do? Well, they can go to SmirkandDagger.com and take a look at them all. (laughs) (laughs) Short, sweet, and to the point. Awesome. Love it. Well, listeners... Thank you so much for coming on today's voyage. As always, my name is Josh. I'm Andrew. And? And I'm Kurt. (laughs) And this has been the Tabletop Submarine. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support the Tabletop Submarine podcast, please consider giving us five stars on iTunes and share this podcast with your friends, family, and other gamers in your life. See you on the next voyage.